Hello, friends. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160 The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, Jack Tyson, and of course, we have Father Jim Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And we also have another addition in studio with us today. We have Rachel Miller with us, who's learning the production ins and outs over here on the board. So we're happy to have her with us today. Uh, but Father Jim, we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe today, I believe. But first, we want to get you to start in prayer for us. Sure. Thank you. Good afternoon, team. Hi, Father. Hi, Father. Hey, Father. And good afternoon, all of our wonderful listeners across Atlanta and across the country. Here's a beautiful old prayer that's attributed to St. Pope John Twenty-Third. It's a prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, mystical rose, make intercession for Holy Church. Protect the Sovereign Pontiff. Help all those who invoke you in their necessities. And since thou art the ever-Virgin Mary and Mother of the true God, obtain for us from your Divine Son the gift of keeping our faith, sweet hope in the midst of the bitterness of life, burning charity, and the precious gift of final perseverance. Amen. Amen. Now, team, I want to lead us in three Hail Marys first, for all of our family members, ourselves and all those who are tuning in, for the salvation, the eternal salvation of the souls of all of our family members, those close and those very far away, those young and those who might be older. For the salvation of our family members, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now we want to pray for our beloved home state of Georgia, that free us from all sin and darkness, and of course, any corruption or fraud in the balloting that uh, took place in November, and the balloting that's coming up in January, that God would protect us with the gift of honesty and make Georgia, a truly Christian refuge as a state, a place where the kingdom of God reigns. Georgia, for our elections as well, and for an end to abortion in Georgia, we now pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And finally, we pray for our beloved president, um, the most pro-life president in the history of our nation, that God would protect our president in every possible way and guide him and help him to continue his holy work for our country. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. The, Thank um, you, Jack. And, and um, as we get going today, we, we would like to talk more about the Blessed Mother and, and the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And that, yes. that feast day, and I guess it's actually a feast day now in the church and no longer simply a memorial, but that took place last Saturday. Can you explain the difference between a feast day and just a memorial? What's, what's the significance of that? Thank you. Yes, that's a good question. It's a liturgical question. And of course, the liturgy is, is the most important thing that we can do in this life, is the liturgy. That's why it's sometimes called the work of God. And it's, it's of primary importance for all priests and for all religious and for all lay people. Because in the liturgy, especially in the liturgy of the Eucharist, that's when we offer proper and appropriate and rational worship to God. And we were made by God, we were made to love God, and we were made to worship Him in that love. How do we worship Him? Well, we need the Church, the infallible magisterium, to really to teach us what is the proper and best and appropriate ways to worship God. And we do that most especially in the Holy Eucharist, the gift that God gave us through His Son, Jesus. So the Church teaches us how to do liturgy, how to do worship, and she regulates the worship, uh, not to be like, you know, a slave driver, but in order to assure and ensure that our worship is beautiful and holy. In our worship of God, Sunday takes the primacy, because that's one of the commandments of the triune God, is to worship, to worship Him and His Son and the Holy Spirit every Sunday. And of course, thanks be to God, we, we have a Church that also offers Holy Mass every day of the week, of course, it's being getting harder and harder nowadays to find that, but that will be restored soon enough. And in our worship, there is certainly a primacy of worship. We have Sundays, and we have the special feast days, like Christmas and Easter, that are called solemnities. These are the highest of the highest. Then there are regular feast days, like for St. John of the Cross yesterday, for St. Clair and St. Francis, St. Juan Diego, these are called memorials, where we remember certain saints or certain events in the life of the Church that are important, because they help to guide us in truth. But there is a type of feast day in between the memorials and the solemnities called the, it's called the feast day, officially. It's above a memorial, right below a solemnity. It's a high ranking in the liturgy, a very high rank. We would even say the Gloria in those Masses, just like on Sunday. And so it's only the Church that can decide these uh, appropriate rankings. And she moved about 20 years ago to make this day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which we celebrated on Saturday, which used to be like a memorial, even an offshore memorial. Now it has one of the highest levels in the Church, a feast day. And that means the Church is saying, pay attention to this. It's a feast day, especially for all the countries of the Americas, North, South, and Central America. She's saying there's something of primary importance in this day that will lead us closer to God. So it's important to give each day its proper significance. So the Church is telling us that Our Lady of Guadalupe has a very important purpose in our worship. 
almost like in Mary we find the locus of perfect worship in Mary. And so pay special attention, America. God has signaled you out with this amazing and miraculous visitation of Our Lady. He has he's sort of signaled you out to worship Him in a new and special way as an example for the whole world. And so Our Lady of Guadalupe now is a very high feast day in the Americas, and is drawing all the Church to love God with Mary's own love, and to look through the eyes of Mary, as John Paul says, to look through the eyes of the Virgin Mary, both at God and at the world. Our Lady of Guadalupe, as a feast day, is telling us that Mary's apparition there and her messages, they are of supreme importance for us. And they help to orient us towards perfect worship. And so when we look at the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is displayed in so many churches across the world, we see Our Lady really in an act of worship. Her hands folded in prayer, and her her eyes and her, her face gently downcast. In other words, she's not taken the glory herself, but Mary herself is in an act of worship and prayer. And so this feast day really is teaching us to go to Mary to learn how to worship God in a more perfect way. So there's something significant about this, that it's no longer just a memorial or an optional memorial, this, this day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but it's considered of a, of a singular importance for the whole Church, especially for the Americas, that God said something dramatic on this day, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the Church can learn something salvific on this day. Amen? Amen. 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 And, you know, Father, we all celebrated the feast on Saturday, but I just heard that you did something special on Saturday to celebrate the feast. So what was that? Well, I was able to um, celebrate Mass at a Christian refuge, and that is, there's a, there's a movement across the United States of America and here in the good state of Georgia for Christians, Catholics, but also Christians of other churches, to create special refuges across the land, a place of safety in case things should go down in our country and in the world, if things should get rough or dark, that there are places the Holy Spirit seems to have prepared for us all across the country and across Georgia. So I was with a, a wonderful family over the weekend and said Mass with a, with a priest friend of mine there for, you might say, the inauguration or the consecration, the blessing of a new Christian refuge here in, in the central Georgia area. And so this is a movement, really, of the Holy Spirit, that we're living in difficult times, and things could get harder. And this is not bad, though, because God is preparing to purify the Church and to purify the world. Those who remain faithful to the Lord Jesus, especially with Our Lady, through Our Lady, with her rosary, will be made safe and kept safe. So a refuge is one possibility where the Lord may lead some of us to go and be protected in case times get very, very difficult. And so we celebrated the Mass of Our Lady Guadalupe on Saturday at a new Christian refuge in the Georgia, central Georgia area, not too far from where we are. It's one of several that have been um, uh, uplifted over the last couple of years. In particular, I want to recommend, though, to all of our listeners that the greatest refuge, first of all, is right in your own home, in your own heart. Mm 
that all of us can erect Mary as our queen and pray her rosary every day, then even the private Christian home, the Catholic family home, can itself become a place of refuge if things do get difficult in our country. So we celebrated Our Lady of Guadalupe, the mother, you might say, of Christian worship, at a refuge, that she would be present at this refuge for whatever may be coming, whoever may be coming, she'll be present to protect us and to guide us. So it was very beautiful and was very meaningful, and it was a joy, for all, a true joy for all of us who were there. Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was. So, Father, what's the actual meaning of Guadalupe? It's really interesting. First of all, when the Holy Mother appeared to Juan Diego, who's now Saint Juan Diego, she didn't speak to Juan Diego in Spanish. She spoke to him in his own language, which was Aztec. The reason for mentioning that, and that's also that's recorded by the priest who was there at the time, at the original records of the apparitions. Guadalupe is a Spanish word. It's not an Aztec word. So Our Lady, um, she did not call herself Guadalupe. She called herself an Aztec name that sounded like Guadalupe, hmm. but began with the Aztec prefix C-O-A-X, quox, like quoxalufe, something like that in the original Aztec. And when Juan mentioned this to the bishop and his helpers, they thought that he was saying Guadalupe. And why <laughs> is that? Because... Our Lady Guadalupe, beloved, is a famous shrine in Spain that predates Our Lady Guadalupe in Mexico. Mm. It's a famous shrine of Our Lady in Europe and in Spain in particular that many, many, many people over there know about. Her name is Guadalupe. And so when the Spanish missionaries heard St. Juan Diego speak the name of Our Lady in Aztec, it was a word that sounded very similar to the Spanish shrine, the Spanish apparition, Guadalupe. But it wasn't. It was actually an Aztec word, like something like Quaxalupe. I don't know the Aztec perfectly, but it was an Aztec word that sounded very similar, beginning with the prefix quax, not guad. So mm. Quaxalupe. Well, that word, the original Aztec, has an incredible meaning. We have to go back to the original language that Our Lady and St. Juan Diego spoke. And it means she who crushes the serpent god. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Mary identified herself in that manner to Juan Diego. She who crushes, one translation says, she who crushes the head of the serpent god. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And so this image of Our Lady and this title that she herself gave it from heaven this is something very biblical and very scriptural, very profound, because that's one of the first promises of man, of God to man in sacred scripture. One of the first prophecies that the serpent shall crawl on his belly and lay in wait for the woman who would crush his head. Mm-hmm. Well, who is that woman? The Church and Jesus himself have clearly identified her as the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Church, too, as the Church is cleansed and pure alike and with Mary, the Church, too, is also that woman in a more general way. 
In a specific way, it's Mary, the Virgin Mother. And here she appears to Juan Diego, saying that she is the mother of the true God. And she gives her name in Aztec, which means she who crushes the head of the serpent. And so the name of Mary in Mexico is, you might say, cataclysmic. It's incredible. It almost signals the fulfillment, the definitive fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis, that Mary will be God's instrument to crush Satan's hand. So that's what the name actually means. And perhaps that's why the tilma to this day remains unfaded. It's still fresh and preserved in its original beauty. And in fact, many say, including scientists, that the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City is actually getting slowly but surely brighter. Oh. It's actually brighter, more beautiful, and more clear as the years go by. It's not dimming in any way. It's not staying the same as in neutral. It's actually getting brighter. Mamma mia. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What an incredible miracle. It is. It is. is. It's exciting. Yeah. Father, uh, we see the abortion industry has really grown up just astronomically over the last century. And, and we even see child sacrifice has come to light in our modern times. And it's, uh, I think it's not unlike what was going on at the time of um, the era of Guadalupe. Can you touch on how this may relate to Our Lady's messages? Yes, it's, um, it's something we see even in the Old Testament with Moloch and the, the worship of the pagan idols, and part of that worship, all worship basically throughout the world, and in all religions, all worship usually consists in some form of sacrifice. And as we sacrifice something to whom we think God is, as a way of showing Him honor and favor, and of course, um, to many people, as a way of trying to draw down from heaven favors over us. So sacrifice is part and parcel of worship. And so child sacrifice has been on the earth for a long time. And it's something not pleasing to God. It's something really satanic in origin. Only the evil spirit could have inspired this in ancient peoples, to kill their newborns, to try to appease God. The God they're trying to appease is not the true God. That's a horror, what they're trying to appease. And so the Lord taught us really definitively through Abraham, when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, we have to understand that incredible true story of the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, that child sacrifice was prevalent in all the pagan religions. And when Abraham showed his willingness to obey God, at the sacrifice, you might say, of his own heart, his firstborn son, God immediately sent an angel and stopped it, showing by that action that I don't demand the sacrifice of your sons and daughters. Not like that. No, he says. He was actually showing us all the pagan religions were wrong. I will sacrifice myself, he says, my own son, but I don't ask you to sacrifice your sons and daughters. 
Well, this whole idea of pagan sacrifice, thank God, it sort of disappeared as the Jewish people became stronger, and especially as Jesus came. He was the one sacrifice. But in our time, we've seen it grow up again, especially in the United States of America. And this is why the Lord really has to chastise and cleanse our poor country, because we have led the re-emergence of child sacrifice throughout the world. And instead of being a leader in Christian values, the United States of America, and to be fair, many of our so-called leaders— have sort of um, championed this, the killing of unborn children of abortion. Like, if you want U.S. aid, then you have to agree to abortion. This is a form of colonialism, but it, it's, a, it's a, blood, a bloody colonialism. So our country has revived the practice of abortion uh, under the, you know, the penumbra, you might say, of women's rights. Well, that has nothing to do with women's rights. A woman doesn't kill a little baby in order to establish her rights. This is another satanic deception. And so the practice of child sacrifice, which was present in many places, wherever pagan religion was, and was in Mexico at the time of Our Lady appearing there to convert the masses there to Jesus and to the true Church, it's been revived again in our own time through abortion. Now, Our Lady, when she appeared to Juan Diego in, in Mexico, all child sacrifice and human sacrifice ended overnight. Mm-hmm. It just stopped. Our Lady stopped all the child sacrifices there. And it's amazing because in Our Lady's image in Mexico, on the Tilma, she's pregnant with a child. Oh, yeah. So here is a beautiful virgin with child who is telling us, do not kill your children. Mm-hmm. She stopped all the sacrifices in Mexico. But wherever Our Lady and Our Lord appear, there's always going to be a satanic backlash. And poor Mexico, which is such a beautiful country with such beautiful, beautiful people, again, it's really not the Mexican people, but their so-called leaders approved of abortion in Mexico City not too long ago. And so it's becoming necessary that Our Lady move again to bring a complete end to child sacrifice and abortion in Mexico and throughout the world. It has risen up again in Mexico, uh, again for maybe for women's rights, whatever sort of uh, rationale they're using. And the amazing thing was this, and a priest friend of mine shared this with us on Saturday, that the day that Mexico City approved of abortion, I mean, talk about a scandal, in the country where Our Lady appeared so magnificently, in certain ways, as never seen before in the history of the world in Mexico City, there, it's almost, almost like they spit in the face of the Virgin Mary, where the Mexican government approved abortion, almost unbelievable, and the people were not in favor of it. The very day that they voted the government in favor of this atrocity, abortion is nothing less than murder. In the Basilica, where the Toma is hanging to this day, it is said by many witnesses that the Toma lit up that very day, in particular, on Our Lady's womb, her belly lit up 
Mm. At that, on that very day, a light shone from within, and a baby could be seen in the womb of Our Lady of the painting on the tilma of Our Lady in Mexico City. The Christ oh, wow. child, the baby, could be seen. As wow. if Our Lady was warning Mexico, you can't do this. Every time you kill a baby, you're killing the baby Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, my husband this morning, Bob, you know, Bob, Bob this morning said, I just woke yes. up and I don't get a lot of messages, but I heard a voice say to me, it's a great day to be a Catholic. I thought, wow, I got to think about that, you know? And now as you're saying that, I hope he's listening because listen, hearing these stories makes me think it really is a great day to be a Catholic. It's beautiful. It really is. Mm-hmm. As the dark gets darker, you see, the light gets lighter. And yes. a great victory is being prepared for the church and for the world, a magnificent victory that will consist of nothing less than the complete stopping of all abortion in this country and throughout the world. Abortion will come to a complete and absolute end in the world. It has to, mm-hmm. because abortion is a blood sacrifice to Satan, abortion, blood sacrifice to the devil. And that's what empowers him to do the atrocious work she's doing in our country, including the stealing of this election, which God will not permit, but the attempted stealing of this election away from the pro-life president. We're going to see Our Lady and Our Lord move in a most dramatic way, and it will include the complete conversion of all the young people of this country. The teenagers themselves will become pure and chaste and holy and Catholic, and abortions will come to an end. Something magnificent is coming, and Our Lady is signaling that even there in Mexico City with a tumult lighting up, and the little baby just being seen within her womb on the tumult. So the great victory is coming, a great victory through the Virgin and Our Lady of Guadalupe is like a banner of victory. Wherever she is framed and hung, wherever she's brought in procession, that's a banner of victory. Whose victory? The victory of God, the victory of Jesus, the victory of the Holy Trinity on the earth. Something great is coming, and Our Lady and her image are, you might say, the banner or the emblem of the definitive victory of the era of peace. Amen. 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 All right, y'all. Well, it's time for us to take a quick break, but stay tuned. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. Hi, this is Paul Crowder from St. Michael's Parish in Woodstock, Georgia. You're listening to Atlanta Catholic Radio, AM 1160, The Quest. Do you have a friend or family member who's seeking to grow in spirituality? Know someone who's fallen away from their faith? Why not invite them to listen to AM 1160 The Quest? We offer a wide variety of the most prominent voices on Catholic radio. Inviting a friend has never been easier. Now there are four great ways to listen to The Quest. On your radio at AM 1160, online at thequestatlanta.com, on your smart speaker, and on the Quest Atlanta app. Please invite a friend to listen to AM 1160 The Quest today. Let us offer a prayer of thanksgiving for Father Vincent Sullivan, a priest serving in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Eternal God, 
We thank you for the blessings of Father Sullivan, who represents you on this earth. Make him more greatly aware of the grace that you pour out through him as he ministers the sacraments, and help him to fall more deeply in love with you after each and every Mass that is celebrated. Please strengthen him so that he may lovingly and courageously shepherd your flock. May we support Father Sullivan in the Archdiocese of Atlanta by offering him kind words, deeds, and assistance. We thank you, God, for the gift of Father Vincent Sullivan. Allow him to remain an example of your truth and a guide to all of those he has entrusted to serve. We ask these things of you, our Lord, our eternal priest. Amen. The Quest presents A Daily Dose of Virtue with Jay Tremonti from Venture with Virtue. We make countless decisions every day. How often do you stop and ask yourself, what's the impact of this decision? Who does it affect? How is it going to affect them? There's a lot to consider when making a decision, especially an important one. And if you want that decision to flourish, there are two things to remember. First, consider the multiple dimensions to the decision you're about to make. Then, approach the decision as a virtuous leader or a good steward who recognizes the gifts and resources you have been given and how they can benefit others. That last part was key. We have to take into account the human dignity of each person impacted by our decision. Will they benefit or be harmed in some way? Every decision we make has a ripple effect for eternity. Let's make those decisions flourish for good. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. So, you love listening to The Quest, but can't always listen live? No worries. Now with the Quest Atlanta app, you never have to miss out. Listen on demand, submit prayer requests, catch up on the latest headlines, and so much more. Available on the App Store and Google Play today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heaven's Light, and we're broadcasting from the AM 1160 The Quest studio this hour. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, Jack Tyson, Rachel Miller, and on the phone we have Father Jim Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. And this hour we're talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe. So Jack, I think you had the next question. I do. Thanks, Annie. And and Father, I've got to say, you really piqued our interest. And and over the over the break, um, Carol was reading off a whole list of of miracles that have been associated with Juan Diego's tilma. Can you talk a little yes. bit more about that? It it seems like there's a, just an endless list of of amazing <laughs> miracles. Amen. Here's one that's probably not known. This happened uh, way back when Our Lady appeared hundreds of years ago during the celebration when our beloved Aztec brothers and sisters who were now being baptized in mass, I mean, something like nine million Aztec Indian brothers and sisters were baptized into Jesus Christ and the Holy Catholic Church in eight years. Wow. As a direct Mm. result of this. I mean, it's the greatest evangelization in the history of the world, the greatest. And another greater one, by the way, is coming. But when they had the celebrations of Mary's apparitions there, 
is showing her favor to her Aztec sons and daughters. She was dressed as an Aztec princess. And in the celebrations, what they would do are the beautiful Native American people would be something like what we do today with a 21-gun salute. But in those days, they would have like a 21-arrow salute. Hmm. And they would shoot arrows into the air, sometimes with flame on them, you know, as as a sign of honor to to God Himself and to His His holy daughter Mary, our mother. They would have their twenty one gun salute. In this case, twenty one arrows shooting into the air. Well, in the midst of the celebrations in Mexico City, right when all this was becoming known throughout the country, and everyone was being touched by the Holy Spirit, one of the arrows that flew up in the air in the celebration. It was caught by the wind and came back down over the crowd and actually hit a young man, went through his chest, and killed him. Oh, my gosh. It was a terrible, terrible accident in the midst of the greatest celebration in the history of Mexico, the greatest, most joyful celebration. A young man was killed by an arrow, a stray arrow. It was not meant to be. But here is the amazing faith, and I see this in many of our Mexican-American brothers and sisters to this very day, this amazing faith in Christ Jesus. Mary always leads us to a greater faith in her Son, not to herself, never to herself. Mary always leads us to a greater faith in Jesus. They picked up the dead body of this young man with an arrow through his chest, and they brought him to the image. The basilica was not yet built. This was like right after, like within a year or two. So it was, it was there like in a tent. They brought the limp and cold body of this young man with an arrow in his chest to Our Lady of Guadalupe's image, and they all prayed and wept and cried out to God and to his mother. The young man came back to life mm. incredible, in front of everyone. We're talking about a public miracle. This is an mm-hmm. absolute publicly witnessed miracle. The young man came back to life and lived to a ripe old age. Amen? Amen. Amen. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the first great miracles of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Another one that I feel really close to has to do with Mary's eyes, which I'm sure that most of you have heard of by now. The reason it really attracted me was because the scientist who first discovered it was the uncle of a friend of mine. Hmm. <laughs> And she lived in the same neighborhood as, as myself and my family in Tampa. And I remember her talking to us about the whole thing. But a scientist had the bright idea as they were examining this tilma, which is unbelievable. The image is getting brighter, not the same, not dimmer, but getting brighter. The scientist discovered, first of all, that it, it's not paint. We don't know what's, what the image is made out of. It's not made out of any pigment or any paint or any chemical known to man to this very day. We don't know what it's made out of. And it's not made out of cactus straw. The tilma is cactus, but the image doesn't actually touch the cactus straw of the tilma. It's actually floating over the cactus straw. When this same scientist blew up the image, like 20,000 times, they could see that the image itself is not actually touching the straw, the tilma. It's literally floating a hair above the tilma. It's almost unbelievable. Then they applied the same method to her eyes and blew them up thousands of times. 
in her eyes, they see images of the bishop, the bishop who was there presiding in Mexico City, the Franciscan bishop. And we know it's him because there is one painting available of this bishop, and it was in Spain, but we have an image of the bishop. It's the same man. It matches the image perfectly. There in Our Lady's eyes, we see the image of the bishop and his helpers in the bishop's office. And so Our Lady's eyes have become a camera, and they took a picture of what she would have seen if she was standing there in front of Juan Diego, which indeed she was. In her eyes, we have like a, a photograph that was impossible to take even 20 years ago. We do not even have the technology for that 20 years ago. To take like an, a photograph and shrink it down to such a small... Well, this was done more than 450 years ago almost 500 years ago. The image is beautiful and perfect in Mary's eyes of the bishop and whoever was in the office at that time looking at her as the image unfolded on Juan's tilma. That's another one of the great miracles, that the image is literally floating above the tilma. It's not actually on the tilma. And secondly, that the eyes contain a photograph, the both. The eyes themselves are concave, they're circular, they're rounded, just like our eyes. They're not flat, they're rounded. And the baby in her womb, she's pregnant. Several times, I knew one doctor who actually was there, the image has a heartbeat. There have been several times, not only with the original image, but with some of the approved um, traveling images of Our Lady of Guadalupe, when doctors have placed a stethoscope next to Mary's heart and next to Mary's womb, they have heard two different heartbeats. Mm. The heartbeat of a mother, of a full-grown adult, and the heartbeat of a baby, which is much faster, by the way, of course, than a mother's heartbeat. <laughs> a whole different rhythm. So the miracles, you're, you're right, guys, have been manifold and manifest on this image, and they, they are mind-blowing. And It just makes you, you have to ask the question, how can anyone but anyone not believe in God? How is that That's possible, right. to not believe in God, with the miracles that have occurred on, on this image and through this image? And they continue to occur to this day, including thousands of reports of miraculous healings. Oh, Amazing. it's incredible. Oh my gosh, I, I just, I kind of get goosebumps thinking about it. And it really is a great day to be a Catholic. I mean, <laughs> e this is a gift for everyone in the world, but it's really kind of the Catholics that have, have this as a treasure and know about it and celebrate it. So we're very grateful for that, right? Yes, and it's a biblical. It's Catholic and it's biblical. Mm -hmm. We should make it attractive to our, our beloved Protestant brothers and sisters and our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. It's, it's Revelation 12.1, with the woman clothed with the sun. And there she is, clothed with the sun. So we see a biblical image there, both from Genesis and from the book of Revelation, of a woman who's crushing a serpent, and she's clothed with the sun. And so it's Catholic, but it's also biblical. And you are right, Stephanie and Carol, this is for the human race. It's not just for the Church, it's for the human race. And please, God, may more attention be given to it. This is, again, an emblem of victory. 
And the victory is on the way. And I was pondering earlier today, what else will God do through this image? (laughs) As we get close now to the complete and definitive victory that Our Lady promised at Fatima and in Ecuador, and in many other places, what else is going to happen with this image? I'm wondering, I was just thinking today, my goodness, maybe we'll all go there and her eyes will move around and she'll start smiling at us right there from the image <laughs> to the whole world, maybe caught on camera. Who we, we can't put a limit on the goodness of God and his creativity. So there's something about this image that is for the whole world. And even the stars on Mary's robe, the scientists say, are positioned exactly as they were in the sky. I think it was 1531 in Mexico City on December the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th. On those very days, the stars on Mary's robe are arrayed in a line just as they were in the sky over Mexico City back in the 1530s. Wow. How can you not believe in God? I mean, this is just some incredible, incredible... And I believe, team, that more miracles, we're going to find out more miracles on the tilma itself in the times to come. But there are even more treasures, I believe, are hidden there in the tilma that will come out, things we probably couldn't even possibly have known until we had the proper technology to discover them. So do you think, Father, that it seems like that you're leading toward, you know, kind of confirming for us that there is a correlation between Our Lady and the Tilma and our own salvation. Do you do you think there is? Yes, I, Mary. You know, as we might use a little a funny little phrase from our own country, Mary is not another pretty face, <laughs> and she indeed is a pretty face. She's a beautiful face. But she's something more. That Mary, I would say she's the icon of salvation. Mary is the icon of salvation. And she reflects the human soul. And God's whole plan in creating the universe was to make a home for the bride of his son. Like every good father, our Heavenly Father, he wanted a bride for the Word. The Word took flesh and took the name Jesus. The Father wanted a beautiful and spotless bride for His Son, Jesus. And so He made the world like a mansion and created the human race with Adam and Eve. And we were meant to be and to become the spotless bride of His only Son, the Church. So when God created the world, He was creating a home for the Church. And the Church is actually his bride. And he's still looking for that bride for his son. He's cleansing her even now. We all together, we make up that beautiful bride of Christ. But but what does it look like? Well, it looks like Guadalupe. That's what the bride looks like. He's looking for a beautiful woman who would reflect the grandeur of God back to God. He's looking for a bride worthy of his son. Well, how could that be? Well, because God is love. And you think of the correlation, let's say, with England, when, let's say, the king of England or a prince in England or any such state that still has monarchies. Cannot the king or the prince marry a commoner? 
Of course he can. It's been done many times through history, where the man of royal blood looks through the entire country to find a girl, a young woman who is pure and holy and wise and beautiful. And she might be maybe the, the daughter of farmers. Maybe she's dirt poor. But she's the one the prince has chosen, and his father, the king, says yes. And they take her from her common state, and they clean her, and dress her in a beautiful robe, and put jewels on her, and give her an education. And they make her a fitting and beautiful bride for the son. And when the prince marries her, she becomes a princess. And when the prince becomes king, she becomes the queen, a little commoner. That's what God has done with the church. We are commoners. I am a commoner. But God has chosen us, and he's washing us off through the seven sacraments. And he's clothing us with jewels through the rosary. And he's giving us an education through sacred scripture and the magisterium to be a holy, pure, and chaste, and fitting bride for his divine Son. And Mary is the model of that. She's the icon of that, the bride who is saved eternally through marriage to the divine kingly Son. Our Lady is the icon of this, of this bridehood, the icon of this love, the icon of salvation. And so it behooves you and I not to compromise. And that's one of the great words of our Lord and Our Lady to the Church in the year 2020. To the priests and the people alike, let's not compromise. The bride should not have any muddy streaks on her white dress. We can't compromise. We have to become holier than holy, so to speak, through the power of God's grace. We need to be a beautiful, holy, and fitting bride to the Divine Son, the Divine Bridegroom. Mary of Guadalupe, Our Lady herself, is the icon or the image of that. She is the bride, too. She's the mother of the bride, and she's part of the bride. And she is our example. And so when we look at Our Lady of Guadalupe, in a certain sense, we're looking in a mirror. That's how we should look, you might say, with that humility of Mary, that prayerfulness, that beauty, that love, that faith, that worship, that this is a mirror image of what the whole bride is called to be. In Mary, we see what we're called to be. As the saint said, what Mary was in the very beginning, the church shall be in the end. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Father, as as I was reading about um, just a description of of this whole apparition and something uh, I want to share something that I read and it talked about that when Juan Diego encountered the Blessed Mother, she's described as dressed in light with beautiful, dazzling colors and introduces herself to Juan Diego as the Virgin Mother Mary. But then she goes on to say that she's the mother of God, the great truth the God of all people, the God of creator of heaven and earth. And I was just struck by the reference to her dressed in light and the mother of God of the great truth. Will you comment on those two? Yes. 
Of course, right there on her image, she's clothed with the sun. And it's getting brighter, as we already mentioned several times, it's getting brighter, the image, which is impossible. But can you imagine what she looked like when Juan saw her with his own eyes in three dimensions? That same image, but alive in three dimensions, clothed with light, just like some of the other apparitions of Our Lady, in particular Our Lady of Knock in Ireland, when Our Lady and St. John and St. Joseph, Jesus the Lamb, were made, composed of light itself. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And those who follow him, and in particular his spotless mother, we too become the light of the world. Jesus said it. He said, you are the light of the world. We are too. The closer we get to Jesus, especially through the seven sacraments and through prayer, the more we are filled with light. And I remember a true story of some St. John Bosco, patron saint of youth, great, great, great lover of Mary, when he was having a meeting with the parents, the mother and father of one of his teenage boys. As you know, he created these orphanages throughout Italy and throughout the world through his community called the Salesians. And this one young man, uh, John Bosco, knew that he was being called to the sacred priesthood. And he met with the children of this young man, excuse me, uh, the parents of this young man, to explain to them what he had seen and how their son was special. And he was called to be a priest, and the parents were objecting to it. And they would have nothing of it. Even though St. John Bosco had saved their son from the streets, they couldn't even raise him. They had no money to raise him. And John Bosco had saved him uh, through his schools and his orphanages. The parents did not want anything to do with it. And they were arguing with a saint. That's how stubborn we can become, myself included, and in our terrible pride and sinfulness. We will argue with a saint, is what we will do. We will even crucify our own Savior if it comes down to it. And so how we need humility, how we need repentance. The saint, though, refused to argue with them, John Bosco. They were in a conference room, and he put his head down and crossed his arms and went into prayer. And this is a true story witnessed by all three, the mother, the father, and the teenage boy. As he put himself into deep prayer, and we all, like Mary, with Mary, through Mary, we need to learn deep prayer right now. As darkness begins to descend over this country and the world, we have to shine with a radiant light. That's exactly what happened to St. Don Bosco. Light began to emerge from his chest, and within a minute, the room was flooded with a divine, supernatural light, so strong they could not see John Bosco. They were blinded by the light. They couldn't see anything but the light. It's almost like he disappeared. Mm. This isn't the first time this has happened with many of the wonderful saints of the Church. Then the light began to withdraw slowly but surely, and they opened their blinded eyes to see again. They could see Don Bosco sitting in front of them, not saying a word. And then they agreed to let their son become a priest. Amen. Oh, amen. amen. That's a true story. It's happened to many saints over the ages, including some of the great Desert Fathers, Our Lady is the penultimate, my symbol of this. When we enter heaven, like Mary, as St. John says, 
We don't know yet what we're called to be. What we know, St. John says, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Well, Mary is like him because she does see him just as he is. And she shines with radiant light. He is the light of the world, and he came to shine that light and to light that light in each of our hearts. Mary first, and then after Mary and with Mary, the rest of us. So light, beloved, is a symbol of power, a symbol of purity, and a symbol of grace. And Mary shows that in Guadalupe, and who knows, it may be if things get dark everywhere, and maybe even physically the power goes out everywhere, I would not be surprised in the least if the Tilma in Mexico City lights with a nuclear light and shines so the whole country can see it right there, and maybe her other images around the country, around the world as well. So Jesus is the light. He came to give us that light. We see that in Guadalupe, and it is our destiny as well. It's our destiny, too. Amen? Oh, amen. amen. Father, we only have about two minutes to go, but I've been raising my hand here in the corner hoping to get in one more question, and, <laughs> and it relates to the Christmas star. And it's, it's, we're due to see it. It's the alignment of what Saturn and Jupiter and Jupiter on December 21st. And it's going to be the first time in 800 years that it's visible. Or at least the next one's in 800 years. Maybe it was 800 I, before I th- now. I think so. Yeah. And, um, uh, can you, can you shed a little light on, on that topic in a minute and a half? <laughs> a little light. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to it, and it couldn't come at a more apropos time. And this is a a quality of God that even St. Thomas Aquinas comments on. God's timing is exquisite. Mine tends to be goofy. His his (laughs) tends to be perfect. His timing is perfect, and this couldn't come at a more important time. So who knows, there may be a, a solar blackout starting tomorrow across the world that's been predicted by nasa i don't know how accurate that prediction is i don't know but there's certainly there is a moral and ethical darkness in the country in the world that's, that's getting worse mm. god is going to deal with it as pope benedict said as pope john paul said darkness sin always loses love and light always win so at a time now when things are getting at their darkest, it's not surprising at all that God would have the Christmas star shine again over this country and over the world. It's time for a new birth. God will give birth to the Church again. We'll be radiant in holiness with a, a whole, you might say, army of young saints arising. But the world herself, Jack, has to be cleansed. And so this Christmas story will be seen not just in Catholic churches, it will be seen everywhere, over temples and mosques and over fields and plains as well, over big cities and small cities. It's time for the world to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. He's not just for the Catholic Church, but he and the Catholic Church are for everyone. The world cannot go on as it's going. It's time for every man and woman and child to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Mary as the definitive icon of our salvation. We are to follow this one Lord Jesus Christ, the only name given to mankind, not just to the Church, to mankind, by which the world can be saved. 
Jesus. And Mary shows us how to follow Him, not in a sinful manner, which many do. No, 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 no. Mary shows us how to follow Jesus with purity, with humility, with love, with worship, with faith, and even with joy. And so I believe this is a sign that the darkness is about to come to an end, Jack, and something new, desperately needed, is about to arise in the earth today. And as the previous question was about the great truth, the great truth is this, that there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one Church that He's founded. There is one plan of salvation, and that's about to be revealed to the human race. We have to pray for this. God doesn't need a lot. He needs a few who will be true sons and daughters of Mary to bring about a new birth of Jesus in the world, in every country, and a new radiant birth of sanctity in the Church. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, Father Jim, would you close this hour out with a prayer and a blessing? Sure. You know, guys, I want to do the responsorial psalm for today's Mass. I I love the Book of Psalms. and So, team, if you would respond with today's responsorial psalm, you would say, The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Can you say that? Mm-hmm. The, Lord the Lord hears the, the cry, cry of the poor. Okay, we're doing Psalm 34. There'll be four stanzas, and at, at the end of each stanza, team, if you would say that, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. That's what's about to happen now. You see, he's hearing our cries. So Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever in my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy, and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard, and from all his distress, God saved him. The Lord hears the cries of the poor. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. But when the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress, He rescues them. The The Lord Lord hears the cries of the poor. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and those who are crushed in spirit, He saves. The Lord redeems the lives of his servants. No one incurs guilt who takes refuge in him. The Lord, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Spread the effect of grace to thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We ask you, most holy, beautiful Virgin Mother of God, icon of our salvation, Mother of the Church, we ask you now to pray to the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that His Son and His Church may be reborn again on the face of the earth, and all of the world would join together now soon in one cry of love and worship, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
We bless now everyone listening to this broadcast now and in the future with nothing less than a touch of salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Father Jim. You've been listening to Heaven's Light. You're on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. Stay tuned. The Divine Mercy Chaplet is coming up next.